Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer, normally with John Sumser and Stacey Harris, but today it is Stacey Harris and our guest um, counterpart, Aaron Spencer, who works with me at Sierra Cedar. Uh, John is hopefully someplace on vacation in the desert, um, having a good time. Um, first of all, I just do want to apologize to everybody that we are about a half an hour late. Um, had a little bit of technical difficulty getting things started this morning, so hopefully um, if you were trying to listen earlier, you were able to re-log back in today. So, Erin, uh, welcome, and thanks for joining me this morning. Hi, Stacey. It's always fun to talk to you and to talk to John about what's going on in HR this week. So we have a lot of stuff going on this week. So um, it's it's going to be a, a busy, busy conversation. Um, there are um, a lot of not just HR technology, but in general, the technology space has a lot of the news this week. Um, we saw that ADP had their shareholder meeting. Um, so there was a lot of conversation about the activist investor. We're going to talk a little bit about how that came out on November 7th um, and where that landed for Carlos Rodriguez, who is the president and CEO and the current uh, shareholders. Um, also, there was a big announcement yesterday from Cornerstone on Demand. Um, as many of you know, they've sort of been in this sort of state where they've been looking at maybe possibly being purchased or you know acquiring or doing something big for the organization. Uh, looks like they finally sort of decided on what their major move is going to be. They amount, announced a $300 million strategic investment led by Silver Lake um, to accelerate their next phase of growth. We'll talk a little bit about what that is and what that means today. We also had in the news today um, some interesting small companies that are getting some uh, investment, but I think they fit really well with where we're seeing the market heading. Rally Team secured $8.6 million. We also saw Glint get another Series D round of funding uh, for $20 million, and Bravely, Another small organization brought in $1.5 million. So lots of investments going on and continuing to get in the HR technology space. We're also going to spend a little bit of time, if we've got it today, talking about Microsoft Word adding a LinkedIn-powered resume assistant to Office 365. We are starting to see the power of that Microsoft-LinkedIn combination. Erin uh, and I are going to talk a little bit about that. We um, had a lot of uh, conversation earlier today about the fact that um, the resume, depending on who you talk to, may be dead, may not be dead. We've been talking about it for a long time, but Microsoft obviously doesn't think it's dead. Uh, and then also, if you've been paying attention to what's going on at Dreamforce and the uh, Google and Salesforce announcements, there was a massive strategic partnership the two of them seems like they are pairing up to compete with Microsoft, and we'll talk a little bit about that. If there's some time today, we also have an update on Ento. Um, if you follow what's happening in the Australian HR technology market, Ento um, basically um, is a smaller sort of HR workforce management solution in the market, but they partnered up with someone that many of us know called Page Up, which is talent management solution. So we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like. So lots to talk about today, Erin. So hopefully, Absolutely. you know, yeah, hopefully we can sort of give some insight into where things are at with some of these news. But I think the most important thing today is really to talk about you know, what we're seeing in this space as it relates to some of this news. And a lot of it is just um, we're going to wait and see what's happening. So ADP shareholders actually uh, announced this week that um, they had their, their elections for the board. And as many of you know, there was an activist investor, uh, Bill Ackerman, who was uh, trying to put three new board members on the board. And they basically um, had identi you know, identified that they wanted to possibly replace 
Carlos Rodriguez as the CEO, uh, and they wanted to shift the focus of the organization, uh, reduce costs in certain areas, um, and it looks like the investors decided to side with the existing um, uh, leadership. They decided that only about 20 to 25 percent of them voted for Bill Ackerman and, and the um, uh, Pershing Share Group. Uh, Pershing Squares group that was uh, involved in that uh, sort of activist investor conversation. Uh, basically, everyone else voted for uh, the existing board members, so all 10 existing board members stayed uh, in place. Uh, Carlos Rodriguez stayed as CEO, and um, Carlos basically made a statement that not only are they, they very uh, excited about the fact that everybody sort of not only sort of said, yes, we believe in the direction you're going and where you're heading, but he said, we also learned some lessons through this that we are going to ensure that we are staying much more involved and focused on some things the investors are asking questions about. So, Aaron, I know this is a space that you and I don't talk a ton about, you know, what's happening in the finance and the uh, market uh, space from a um, board member perspective, but you and I have talked a lot about the fact that we think that ADP has some of the most exciting sort of future opportunities in the HR tech space. Do you think it's it's um, a, a good thing to see that, that we've got sort of Carlos staying in place and that, you know, the, the market's going to continue in the, at least the path they're going from an ADP perspective? Right. So I do think that it's uh, that that this is a good thing, but I also think that um, just for for all organizations, it's really interesting to see how um, an organization that is uh, as established at ADP could, it, you know, I'm not saying it could easily have gone the other way, but it could have gone the other way. And so one thing I think for all of the organizations, especially for those who are publicly traded, it's important to understand uh, really where you're going to lay out a good strategic vision so that people know exactly what they're following and why they're following you. So um, one of the things that we talk a lot about in the survey is having an HR system strategy for your own organization. What do you have uh, systems-wise? Um, and then we find that organizations who have strategies do a better job um, as being seen as valuable and have better business outcomes than organizations who don't have strategies. And that's just with your HR solution. I think it's interesting to see all of these organizations um, with their own business strategies um, it, needing to actually be able to um, explain that and sell that to their board and investors. Uh, because obviously if you don't have uh, investors and money coming in, then uh, sometimes that really causes problems for you, both as a publicly traded company and as a company that just wants to stay in business. Well, and I think what's interesting with, with this particular uh, conversation is it's been going on for about the last year. And part of the conversation was that, you know, Bill Erkman felt that ADP hadn't been sort of moving as fast as it could have, hadn't picked up enough shares and that it was losing market share in some of the enterprise-wide systems where I think, you know, those of us in the analyst space realize that, you know, ADP is a very big ship to turn. And I think, you know, a lot of the conversations I had, because financial analysts were calling us left and right about this from a, a our research perspective um, and what our perspective has been all along um, with ADP. And I think it will be interesting to see where things head now, but that, you know, to have the number of companies that they have 600,000 sort of individual clients in their data, in their entire database, to have the amount of data that they have available and to have the sort of variations in products and applications and the variations in audiences that they have to serve it makes for a very complex environment, not to mention the amount of services that they offer as a service-based organization, which is not necessarily just a technology-based organization. Um, and so comparing them in some cases to some just standalone technology companies was a bit of a disservice, I think, in some cases. But I also think that, that it, it 
to your point, the idea of communication is really, really important when you're trying to move these big, big organizations in new directions. Um, and that, I think, maybe out of anything is something that you know we, we got out of some of this. Um, it's also important to know that you know many of the financial analysts were sort of watching this with an eye towards, well, if you know ADP goes through this transition and all things, that will mean more opportunity for some of the smaller payroll solutions, maybe who are who are up and comers. I think part of this is going to solidify that you know ADP as a payroll solution is still going to be sort of the one to compete with in many cases, um, particularly for the mid market and small business, but I, even for the enterprise business from a global perspective. So, um, the other Absolutely. big announcement. Was- yeah, was Cornerstone on Demand. Um, so, so this one is interesting to listen to because Cornerstone on Demand um, announced $300 million strategic investment led by Silver Lake to accelerate their phase and growth. Now, as many of us know, they've been sort of talking about maybe being purchased, you know, um, merging with someone else. It, there's been a lot of conversation about what is Cornerstone's next step. What came out, I think, in this particular announcement is that um, it's not just – um, Silver Lake, but basically they also mentioned that LinkedIn was part of so that the um, Silver Lake is the global uh, today announced that they did the investment, but it was also together with LinkedIn. Now that was sort of an interesting thing considering that LinkedIn, part of Microsoft, has its own sort of HR technology strategy going on. Um, and so I, we haven't had an opportunity to talk to Cornerstone. I've had um, some interesting conversations. The finance analysts, I think, are, are some are lukewarm on this. Some are hoping to see them sort of pro, um, maybe purchased by private equity or someone else and just sort of move forward. Some are hoping um, for a, a different direction where our other financial analysts sort of have come out and said, hey, this is really actually going to be a really good move. It's going to shake things up. It's going to give them an opportunity to invest heavily. Um, uh, the Basically, the data or the, the announcement said that the investment is going to be placed in helping the organization focus on um, recurring revenue, um, also more aggressively driving operating margins um, and free cash flow, and then uh, leveraging leadership position in global learning to expand its presence in the e-learning content. The big thing I heard come out of this from a functional perspective is they are doubling down on being a content provider. And since LinkedIn connected with them uh, and did part of this, it's interesting to note because of their purchase a few years, two years back, I think it was, of lynda.com. They have their, yep, uh, they have their own content. You know, Aaron, you and I have been in the learning space for quite some time. Do, I'm kind of wondering, is learning and development going to be, you know, sort of from a content perspective, do, do we think this is going to grow quickly? I don't know. I mean, so you're talking to people around this We've talked a lot about well. this because yeah. obviously, you know, many organizations with Stacey and I came up through actually developing learning content. And um, many, some organizations have that, that skill set in-house and others don't. They go out and look for it. And we looked at our survey this, data this year. Stacey, I don't know if you remember this, but we actually found out that 25% of organizations who are buying something else along with their um, – TA vendors um, and what other systems and solutions they were purchasing, 25% of all of the organizations were looking to purchase outside content. So I think that um, and that was by far the largest single category of other vendors that they were looking for. So I think that content's definitely a space that has, has growth and has room to move. Uh, the interesting thing will be, you know, exactly what kind of content are organizations um, buying. You know, there's some content that obviously, you know, goes across industry, sales training and sales training, but, um, you know, then there's also a lot more uh, specific content. So it'll be interesting to see how organizations um, create and then sell and then, you know, buy content in the future. 
Yeah, and I think the 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 organizations that Cornerstone is is probably going after in this space would be more of the degrees, right? Um, even to some extent, some of the um, uh, the interesting sort of um, Udemy, those kind of sort of standalone corporate sort of direct content um, organizations. Um, it will be, you know, interesting to see. Can you take that corporate technology environment and paired up with the consumerized um, content providing tool and make something that is more than its parts. Because I think that's really what has to happen in the learning space is we have to create almost a, a new approach to thinking about learning and how we capture learning and how people sort of share their capabilities throughout, you know, uh, an ongoing um, sort of history of their um, uh, work time with multiple different organizations. So it'll be interesting to see where that heads. So space to watch without a doubt. Um, some of the investments also that's sort of worth noting is um, that the rally time securing $8.6 million. Now, I don't know rally time. Um, they are an HR technology startup. This is sort of uh, Series A financing. Um, they are an organization that is focused on internal mobility platforms. So it sounds a little bit maybe like m something of a move guides or, or maybe focused more on internal sort of um, onboarding. I, I'm not sure from that perspective. But what was interesting is that the investment group led by Nor Norwest Venture Partners and Storm Ventures also included Cornerstone On Demand and Wilson, uh, Goodrich, and Rosati. Um, so I think what we're seeing is that Cornerstone is really trying to pick up a very um, broader picture in some cases around what's happening in the talent space, particularly with things like workforce readiness. Um, Aaron, you and I have talked a lot about internal mobility. Do you think internal mobility is going to become a bigger conversation, particularly for those employees? You know, you're a millennial, and, and I think, you know, there's always been this, well, millennials move around jobs so much, but, but we're kind of hearing that slowing down. It, it, it's now that, you know, everybody's maturing they're not moving as much as, as the market said. Do you think that's going to well, be the case? Are we going to see people move as much? Talent mobility is always an interesting thing. And one of the, one of the hard things is it's, it's, there's not always a good place to move. Um, I know, Stacey, I've worked for you for a very long time, but it's like if I want to move up, that means that you, kind of you have to leave your, your spot. <laughs> and that's not an always, always a, yeah. <laughs> an automatic thing. You know, so it's hard to go into work every day and look at, and think, oh, the only way that I'm going to actually have mobility in my current position, you know, there's only one person above me and that person is my boss. Um, you know, so that's a hard thing to um, articulate and then plan for. And I think, you know, obviously there are a lot of reasons that people leave jobs. Um, one of them is certainly mobility. Another one is obviously organizations don't always do a great job at um, compensating people for skills and abilities that they have um, brought to the table since they started. So if I want to raise, the only way to get one for many individuals is to move, um, you know, along with, you know, overall um, life changes, life stages, needing to move because of a spouse or partner's position. Um, you know, so talent mobility has always been an interesting thing. And we would look at organizations that are trying to do a lot with – some organizations are trying to do a lot with succession planning. There's software around there. You know, so uh, I think that talent mobility is it's not dead, but I think that organizations don't always know how to think about it um, in a way that will be the most effective for um, their current workforce and then keeping the people that they have engaged. Well, so, and, and I know and that's I something that you and I have struggled with. 
Yeah, and I, I think you've hit the the you know nail on the head there with the fact that um, it's it's not a done deal as a conversation. There's still a lot of ways that people are thinking about it differently. Sometimes it's internal, sometimes it's external, sometimes it's from one company to another. But you're helping you know bring it about. Sometimes it's um, hiring people who have been in the organization previously, so the boomerang employees. It's a it's yeah, a wide the, range. The of alumni employees, you know, and yep. I think that organizations that try not to burn bridges when they lose employees. I think that that's one of the most important things you can do. You know, it's hard not to take someone wanting to leave you personally, but on the other hand, you know, sometimes that's the only way that people can actually get the skills and abilities they need to do a better job in your organization is to get some of some of those outside of your organization. Um, but yep. that's not always an easy or popular thing to say when it comes to, you know, at the cost of internal turmoil. So sort of along those same lines, Microsoft is doubling down, particularly with LinkedIn, on the resume. Now, you took a look at this a little bit more closely than I did, Erin. Maybe explain to the audience what you think this is, and particularly from your standpoint as, you know, someone who's been in the sort of uh, space around recruiting for a little bit longer. Right. So um, Microsoft is debuting a new feature for Office 365 subscribers that's going to help job hunters construct sublime resumes, they say. So it's interesting because everybody in a, in a professional standpoint has a resume, but for those of us that have been at Brown Recruiting a long time, you know what a good resume looks like and what a bad resume looks like. And obviously, one of the first ways that people you know, plow through that stack of 30 resumes for a position is to look at all the ones that look bad and have typos and just throw those out immediately. So um, Microsoft Word is getting together with LinkedIn. It's going to serve up new resumes. It's going to um, it's going to actually serve up examples of work experience and job titles derived from LinkedIn public profiles. And so you're going to be able to get resumes and then um, theoretically, now Stacey, we haven't talked about it in this podcast, but I, radio show, but I know that you and John and I have talked a lot about artificial intelligence and it actually mentions AI in this particular, uh, particular article, the AI to suggest job wording for your specific role, skills, and industry based on other online profiles. Obviously, as soon as you load your resume, as soon as you apply for a position, that resume just goes right into an ATS and they pull out uh, keywords and that's how organizations tend to find you. There's, it, for, especially for large organizations, and HR individuals aren't always reading resumes anymore. But um, this new tool is going to help identify keywords that kind of interface with solutions that are already out there that are going to be doing the picking and then um, tapping into LinkedIn's, they call it gargantuan employment-focused database. So theoretically, your resume working with this LinkedIn tool in the Office 365 will have a better job of actually making it through the ATS to um, find the, the correct job and um, get you to that position. Um, Stacey, I know the, the idea of the resume is dead is something that we've talked about before. Do you actually think the resume is dead? Or so, do you think you know, that this is just one new way to talk about it? Yeah, so if I were to take John's position, and we've had this conversation, I think he's kind of said, who does a resume anymore? <laughs> Um, and and that might be putting words in his mouth, but but I, I I know there's a part of me that sort of says, is this fixing the game? Is this you new? Know, if you know if you're using this tool, you'll have a better chance of getting you know access to the LinkedIn job opportunities and at better access to getting to whatever LinkedIn is sort of then pushing out from their job opportunities. You know, it's an interesting um, assumption here about sort of 
what is the role of the resume? Is it a connector? Is it a, sort of a description of who you are? Is it, a, is, it a, um, is it a tool that basically just pulls together the right keywords? And, and for me, I think part of, of this conversation, it, it goes to where you're starting in the job process, right? So if you're earlier on in your career or you're in a space where um, you're, you're submitting a job for very sort of large, high turnover roles in many organizations, right? You know, the resume, I think, becomes a much more important tool set. If you're someone who's later on in life, um, who's basically building a, a large network of connections and you are focused on sort of maybe very specified job sets, then it's less likely that the resume becomes valuable. I'm, I'm trying to think the last time I've updated my resume and did anything with a resume probably was three jobs ago. Um, but on the other hand, I've worked for very small organizations and where networking has been a big part of it. Um, I think me and you were talking about your resume. You are actually using an existing resume that you started out back when me and you were together, what, 15 years ago at MRI, right? 15 years ago. So when yeah. we first found this article, I was I had mentioned that I'm using the, the same template that Stacey actually created for me got. It really was probably 15 years ago when I was um, an intern working in the recruiting space. So Stacey took one look at my resume and was like, let, let me play with that a little bit. And two hours later, it comes back in a much different and much more user-friendly format, which I have since, you know, continued to update. Um, and it, it's this point, you know, I would probably call people and do actual networking, networking to find a job. But even for this particular position that I have right now, you know, I was introduced to it through Stacey and she was talking to the other hiring manager for it and recommended me. And it was, I don't want to say a done deal after the phone calls, but I still had to produce a resume for it. But one of the other things a resume does, especially if you continue to update it. Now, a friend of mine um, spends New Year's Day before uh, you know, the, the family meal, he spends every New Year's Day um, updating his resume with everything that he did in the last year because it really is a good um, reminder to you of all of the projects that you did in the previous year. It's a good place to track that. Oh, yeah, I did do work on that particular project for that particular individual. And, you know, I remember the stats. You know, I saved $200 million on XYZ project sort of thing. Um, and so that I can do that, um, you know, if I keep that up. Now, right now a lot of people use a LinkedIn profile for that. So and LinkedIn actually, I believe, actually has a button where you can just um, make a resume out of your current LinkedIn profile. It will just pull that all together for you. So that's what you could send off to an individual if you were really um, needing to produce a document. But um, I, I, would, I would still argue that organizations want to have a resume on file for individuals that they hire. So I don't think the resume is dead. But depending on your position, um, how you're hired and the importance of it is uh, definitely something that you would want to think about. Well, and I and you know obviously Microsoft Office is is connecting into this idea that they that you can just pull from LinkedIn. So the the idea of updating LinkedIn seems to be more powerful here. But the other organizations that seem to be wanting to take on LinkedIn is Google and Salesforce. So Google and Salesforce guy did a really big relation, uh, massive strategic partnership, as they said in the market this week, um, aimed at driving value across their their mutual customers, as they put it. Now initially, it basically says that Google's going to use Salesforce products and Salesforce is going to use Google products. And so the two are going to sort of just sort of be uh, very focused on using each other's products. But I think the long-term focus is that they will be able to connect their products in a way through analytics and through sort of um, plugins and tool sets that are going to be almost seamless. So very similar to what we're seeing with the LinkedIn Microsoft connection to some extent. And what I think is going to be interesting here is that 
Google is really, really investing heavily in sort of its own sort of set of HR technology environments. And Salesforce has for a while tried to do some HR, but it's never quite taken off. They've, they've got a couple of organizations who have built um, products on their platform, but they haven't really sort of been, you know, sort of capable of sort of saying we are something beyond the CRM. Maybe with partnerships with Google, the the two might go beyond um, sort of the, again, the, the two might make more than the individual parts. Um, but right now, the focus is on this partnership um, across the two of them. And the big focus, it sounds like, will be that they are competing with Microsoft in multiple ways. Um, and so I think that's a, a space to watch. Um, one other thing that I want to make sure that we mention today before we log off is Glint closing $20 million in a Series D investment. So first of all, getting to Series D means that you've sort of gathered quite a bit of financial you know, um, investment previously. Um, but also, I think it's important to note that Glint is, it's, it's not sort of a primary core HR technology environment. It's, it's a platform focused on, on um, performance and engagement. And um, they've been investing a lot in, in what they're calling artificial intelligence to help organizations avoid sort of risky retention issues, right? Um, and focus uh, engagement and performance with business capabilities key performance indicators. Now, Aaron, I know you and I, I looked at Glenda uh, probably about a year and a half ago. It's probably worth getting a, an update from them. Um, you haven't had an opportunity to see Glint, but you did look at a lot of these sort of engagement slash performance applications when you were at HR Tech. Uh, you know, do you have any thoughts on, on how this space might, might be sort of changing the idea of sort of performance, do you think, for particularly for you know, millennials and, and, and younger workforces who want to sort of think differently about performance in the organizations? Yeah, it's really been interesting to, to look at these organizations. And I'm, there, there's a particular one I'm thinking of that actually um, had a whole a lunch for all of the analysts. We were talking around what they're doing. And the, the hard part is it's hard to sell exactly what they're doing because everybody has a def different definition of what success looks like within an organization. Um, you know, you're trying to you're trying to have engagement. You're trying to make people more successful in their jobs and more careers. You're trying to provide people opportunities. And can software do that? So that, that's what the first question is, and, and I believe that software can. But, you know, what does that really look like within an organization, and how do you make business sense out of the fact that you want to do this? So um, we talk a lot about retention and performance and matching those things to business. But, you know, sometimes it does just come down to individuals and individual organizations, and it's hard to scale some of that um, within different organizations just due to a software. So I, I'm really interested to see how this space continues to, to move forward, especially, you know, Stacey, we were talking about millennials a little bit earlier and the idea that they just job hop and where really are the opportunities. I, I think it's interesting for organizations to actually take a hard look at themselves and figure out where opportunities are and who they want in particular positions. And I think yeah, that thinking I, about it is just as important as anything else. And and obviously the investment money is going here. So it's a definitely a space to be watching. And it's definitely, I think, from a, the vendor perspective, you know, the question is, is this something you need in your, your core HRMS enterprise system? Or is this something that has to sort of sit maybe a little bit outside in an app that's a little bit more flexible and focused on sort of, as you noted, sort of the, the, the things that change rapidly and are a little bit harder to define, right? Um, and I think that's that's going to be the big question in, in this space from a, from a buying and a purchasing perspective. A similar sort of conversation, you know, is um, sort of as we're wrapping up today, is Ento 
um, connecting up with PageUp. So, so Ento is a, is a Melbourne-based tech firm um, out of Australia, and they've been primarily focused on um, what I would say is workforce management, right? Uh, position management, um, uh, those type of things. Um, and they're connecting with what is generally known as career and talent management uh, organization, PageUp, which has done a lot of recruiting, career, talent management efforts. Now, PageUp we followed for many, many years out of the Australian market. They've 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 been big in higher education. They've been big in sort of the the sort of municipality areas in Australia, those kind of things. But what's interesting is that the two together is probably for me one of the first times I am seeing a talent management recruiting slash sort of focused organization pair up more so first with a workforce management solution. Uh, now, it's a smaller workforce management solution. They're, they're, they're only, you know, about 30, or 30 employees in that organization. Um, and and uh, so we'll be uh, wrapping up today. Um, just something to note that there are some interesting things happen in the workforce management and talent management space um, as we see you know, sort of the, the market changing between those two things. That's the place that I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for change. So as we're wrapping up today, um, I want to uh, thank everyone for joining us. We're, we're at the end of our uh, 30 minutes already. Um, Aaron, thank you for co-hosting with me today um, and giving you, John a, a little bit of break. Yep. Uh, and hopefully um, for everyone else, um, uh, this has been HR Tech Weekly, taking you uh, one step closer, hopefully, to the interesting conversations in the HR Tech space. Join us next week. John will be back, and we'll have more interesting uh, topics and conversations that we'll be covering. Um, so thanks, everyone, once again, uh, and we'll uh, talk to everyone next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye.